Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever it is that you are listening to us from this. I hope that you have been enjoying our series as we are looking and going on a journey through the Psalms. It's a long journey that's ahead of us. And today we're going to have a read of Psalm chapter 3 and see what we can draw from this, which seems, yet again, another one of those depressing, whiny David kind of Psalms. But we're often told that he is the poet without equal he is the man who could write something so beautiful in the hebrew language so let's see if we can decode and understand why something that sounds so sad and upsetting is in fact quite glorifying and encouraging so why don't you find your bible have a look right now through psalm 3 press pause and then when you're ready start the podcast again so did you enjoy reading that or have you come once again to another one of those situations where it feels like well david's moaning i don't know whether you're a christian who feels confident that they can come to the lord and they can share their woes and their issues and in a world that's full of anxieties but full also with people who suffer from anxiety it is good to know that we can bring and cast all of our burdens before the Lord. And of course, the challenge to us is not to leave those, uh, not to take those burdens back up, but to leave them exactly where we put them down. But of course, that is easier said than done. Now, Psalm 3 is, in a sense, that very same thing. It's about the anxieties. It's about the woes. But there's much about this psalm that when we start to study around it, that start to make it abundantly clear. These uh, early Psalms really start to give us a, a beginning process, an understanding of what's going on in the rest of the book. And this is where we start to come across a, a word for the first time properly, which is Selah. And there are lots of Bible theologians that debate, they go into the Hebrew to kind of try and figure out what this is. And of course, one of the challenges is that music as it is today, and even music as it was even just 400 years ago, is very different to music as it was 4,000 years ago. Even though these are songs, the way that they would have been sung is not in a way that we might have found even melodic or interesting. One of the things that we don't see when we look at translations of uh, the Psalms is that they would have actually had a pattern and a rhyme to them and that often they were written in a rhythmic form and a rhyming form that would help us to really feel a sense of the music. Of course, when we listen to music, sometimes we kind of don't hear the words because we're hearing the music. And often people are challenged, you know, particularly in worship sessions. And they say to you, oh, you must make sure that the theology of the words that are sung in a chorus are right. This is called doxology. And it can be a big issue, actually, in some churches. And then for others, well, I like the melody. I like when the woman sings kind of high. I like when the guitar does such and such and such and such. And there'll be many people who will come down on that and say, listen, that's just listening to music. That's not worship. But there's something that we pick up out of this psalm that says that I'm afraid, actually, you're not quite right. Because these sailors not sailors, sealars, they actually are talking about a pause. 
but it's not a silent pause. It's a message that's written to the musicians, and therefore this is a song that has been made to play with music. Not all the psalms are made to play with music. Some of them literally are poems, but this one is one to go with music. And when it comes to this part in the song, and it happens three times, including right at the end, then the word sailor is a message to the musicians to play something quite intensely. When I was a, uh, in the youth group, when I was a younger man, I used to joke, we used to call it the guitar solo of the Psalms. But that actually isn't that far away from the version of what it means. And if you're saying, oh, you're making that up, there's no way that's true. Now, let me encourage you, have a look at some theologians, people like Kielich and Delich. You can find their books for free online or could he sword and anything like that, you'll see that they make that point very clearly. This is a period of intense music. So if you're in a worship session, and maybe the words have just passed you by a little bit, because in that music, that intense music, you are what is often kind of poetically referred to as lost in the music. That isn't a bad thing. Are you talking to the Lord? Maybe he's having a conversation with you in that moment. I find I do a lot of my best praying with music on in the background. And often, actually, the words can sometimes get in our way. The doxology of somebody else is not necessarily the conversation God wants to have with you right there and then. But the writer of this psalm, which we're told is David, wants you, after so much of what he said, to really focus on listening to what the Lord has to say. It's not necessarily saying, think deeply on what I've just said. He's saying, take what the Lord is now saying to you. Let him fill in the gaps between what I'm saying and then what I'm gonna say next. And that means that Psalm three actually has three points in it where this can become uh, a Psalm where God speaks to you very clearly but he can speak to us very differently in it. And that's not to say that this psalm has lots of meanings, but it is to say that when you talk through the anxieties that are shared in each one of these kind of strophes or parts of the, the psalm and the song, then you sit and listen to what the Lord is saying to you. Your situation is very different to mine. Your anxieties may be very different to mine, and they all may be very different to David's. But the Lord is still God who cares and loves. And although I don't like the idea of referring to God or even reducing God to just our counsellor and uh, almost a psychotherapist, it is right and good that we can sit at his feet and listen to him. He knows the end from the beginning. And when we're in fear of what is going on around us or what's going on in our lives, when the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. He wasn't asking us to blindly walk straight into danger and fear because he was abundantly clear later in talking to his disciples that a friend knows why he does something. So if you don't know what the Lord is doing at the moment, and that is freaking you out, then why not take a sailor moment or a sealer moment? I have to stop saying sailor. Sealer moment and allow the music give you the opportunity to speak to God at the intensity of that moment. So if we take our seal our moments and we 
fit them into this psalm, what might we understand about it? Well, again, it's a psalm of David that is starts really with a, the anxiety of needing deliverance and that people are telling him it's not going to come and that he then cried out to the Lord, that he slept, he woke up and he felt better about it. And that might seem quite simplistic and even a little unhelpful but actually there's a little bit more that's around this. A lot of these Psalms have titles and I'm not as distrustful as some people tend to be when you look at them. Um, this particular Psalm is entitled, When David Fled From His Son Absalom. Now in uh, our podcast on Psalm 2, I mentioned Absalom, this uh, son who started a rebellion, who worked against his own father, who pulled out the whole situation and actually caused David to need to flee. He slept with some of his own wives, his father's wives, and thus making it impossible for him to be returned and to be restored. And yet in his rebellion, he listened to the wrong people and as it ended because God had called David and not Absalom. Absalom came to an end that was very similar to the end that Saul came to. David wasn't happy about this. David was very sad about this. And actually, he got so sad about it that the general of his army, Joab, came to tell him off and said, would you wish that we were all dead instead of him? It's because there comes to a point where you have to understand that we can have remorse and regret that somebody has not responded to the chances that are before them. But we don't take that to the point of accusing and coming down on those who did. But that's the backstory of it. David didn't know what was going on. His son sat at the gate and spoke lies for a long time. And then one day, without warning, he seized the throne. David fled. And he was very depressed. You can read about it in the books of the history and the Bible. And you will see a David who, even at one point, allows a man just to throw stones at him and insult him. He feels, in a sense, like God has left him. And this is how he expresses that anxiety. I wonder if you write, maybe you've got a diary or a journal, that's how you express your anxiety. You find writing it down helps to kind of get it out a bit. But it's not just the writing down that helps to get it out. It's the giving it to God and it's trusting the Lord that when you give things to him, he can help you. So that's what the premise is of this. This is how David kind of comes around to write this psalm. But when this was included in the book of Psalms and then used as part of Israel's set of worship, Psalm 3 became what is called a mourning psalm. And by morning, I don't mean morning because somebody's died. I mean, as in you get up in the morning. This is a psalm that the choir would raise to sing at the opening of the temple. Now, if you're unaware or unfamiliar with the laws of Israel, then you may not be aware that as part of their daily reminder that they were a kingdom under God, there were a series of sacrifices and offerings that were required the children of israel were to give them and this was the job of the levites in particular the family of aaron and they would run the temple and they would 
do the various sacrifices that were not for our person, such as a sin sacrifice or a, a burnt offering or a peace offering, but they were for the whole nation. And every single day, without fail, there would be two offerings, the morning offering and the evening offering. And if you're wondering, yes, Psalm 4 is about the evening offering. So we're in the morning one now, and our next podcast will be talking about the evening one. Now, that might sound interesting, but you might be wondering why I'm talking about it. And the answer is because it gives us the understanding impression of why David is so sad. Where his anxiety is coming from. Now you might say, well, cool. Sure, his anxiety is coming from the fact that he's lost his throne, that it's his own son that's done it, that he feels that God has abandoned him. But actually, that isn't where the anxiety is coming from. The anxiety is coming because he's missing his home. David had built a house in Jerusalem next to the temple. And if you can imagine the scene early in the morning, every morning, while it was still dark, the priesthood would arrive. They would each be given their significant jobs and the very first of the offerings would be prepared. It would be a lamb offering and it would be given as a burnt offering. Anybody that likes the smell of cooking meat, and I've got to say I am a barbecue fan, this would drive me mad. I'd be a hundred stone at the end of it because all I could do was smell that. But you'd be woken up every morning to this wonderful, amazing aroma. You see, smell rises. And often we say smell in a bad sense, but think about it in a good sense. You know, when people are trying to sell houses, often they bake bread because it, it creates a, a homely attitude. And people kind of love that sense of uh, satisfaction that comes within their noses. I remember uh, working in Denmark and uh, they did ground coffee. And my youth pastor I was working with, he bought some of it. And the cabin that we were sleeping in was filled with this wonderful aroma of coffee. Of course, neither of us could sleep because we had this caffeinated smell in the back of our nose all of the time. But it was still an amazing smell. And every morning when the children of Israel would wake, they would be reminded. Their senses would be reminded. They're not just a group of people who happen to live in the Middle East. But they're a nation who are under God. They are his chosen people, the apple of his eye. And every single person would hold on to the promises and remembrance of God. Some days we might not feel that the Lord is there. Some days we may not see his presence or his activity in our lives. And we understand the little scroll wants to stand to teach you about having a passionate, personal relationship with God. And this is something that David certainly had. But every morning he would be awoken to this smell. But after David, when the temple was built and all of the things that would uh, carry on and go on, then this very thing was also accompanied by David's psalm. Whole choir singing with musical interludes for you to consume and have a think about what is it that the Lord is saying? The anxieties of the day. And why does this start in the morning? Well, there's a scripture that really stands out to us about mornings. And it's this. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. 
Now, this is an apocalyptic statement. It's one to tell us and understand that in that day, that great tribulation time when everything feels like it's darkness, that in the end of that, when the light comes and the morning breaks, that Jesus will bring us joy. But because prophecy is pattern, we understand that there may be a great tribulation, but there are lots of times when we go through hardship, tribulations ourselves. Maybe not as great as the great tribulation, but everything that's hard that we go through is still hard for us to go through. And that is the same thing that is here. David even says it. I lay down, I slept, and I awoke, and the Lord kept me. You know, friends, when you're going through a storm, just like the disciples did. We have to remember that Jesus is in the boat with us. Now, Jesus was asleep in that boat. He was asleep because he'd preached a storm. He'd really worked so hard, but he'd made a promise before he got into the boat. We will get to the other side. It tells us his head was on a pillar, which is a, a strange scripture to give us, but it tells us this because there'd always be a pillow in a boat, and that was where the coxswain would sleep the man who actually steered the boat so quite literally jesus was asleep at the wheel that's a worrying thought but when the disciples forcibly woke him and asked him the question don't you care as many of us do when we're in the anxieties you know i hold my hands up and say that when i've been going through those anxieties there are many a time i've asked look lord don't you care about what's going on i know it's not as big as what such and such is suffering or these people who are over there and they've got no water or no food i know that it's just my silly little problems but they do mean something and the lord stands says oh little faith and he calms the storm and he doesn't stop the storm because they have to go through this again next time they pull together jesus isn't in the boat but he comes and walks aside them we hold on to these promises and know joy is coming in the morning and there's a morning psalm where this is sung on a continual basis. Everybody would receive the smell, the aroma and the knowledge that God has made his promises. God keeps his promises. And that's why David ends this. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. You have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the God ungodly for salvation belongs to the Lord your blessing is on your people although psalm 3 was not written with psalm 2 it helps us to understand the nature of what psalm 2 is talking about the understanding that in the end there will be a harvest there will be a reaping there will be a winnowing where the chaff is separated from the fruit but the Lord's blessing is on his people. And that is the expression that we need to hold on to. The Lord's blessing is on his people. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And whilst you're going through that darkness in your life, then you must remember always hold on to this. Take the moments to have your Selah moments and contemplate always. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to those people who say you don't deserve it. It doesn't belong to those who are causing you the anxiety or the hurt. It belongs to the Lord. And the scripture tells us he gives it freely.
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that none should perish, but that all may have eternal life. And in that there is no qualification. The qualification for salvation is that we must receive the gift that is given. And so we turn to Romans 10 and verse 9 where we understand that if we confess the Lord with our hearts and if we believe that God has raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. As we are those people who believe that Jesus is not just our saviour, but he's our king. And when we hold on to that, then we also hold on to the promise and the truth that even though we may go through the very worst of things caused by our very own family, just as it was for David, salvation is coming in the morning because it's not about us, it's about him. The Lord bless you all.